we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. I think y'all are revved up and ready to go now. Yeah. Uh, I want to say again, welcome to everybody. Uh, If you are new and we have not met, uh, my name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If you're new online, uh, you have your host right there. They would love to connect with you. If you kind of log in and say, hey, they would love to do that. And if you're here in the house, I would love to meet you. Uh, Any of our staff would. I'll be right out in the crossing, right between here and the connection point afterwards. Uh, We'd just love to visit with you for a moment. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to find Luke chapter 2. Uh, That's where we're going to dive in here in a second, Luke chapter 2. If you have your notes, you can kind of get there. And uh, let's open with a word of prayer. God, we're about to open this book. It's the Bible. It's your holy word. And we do not open it, God, just carelessly. In this book are the words of life. We acknowledge that. That there's a power that is unleashed through your holy word as we practice it. In this word, we experience the power of forgiveness. In this word, there's potential of each of us experiencing healing. Receiving wisdom and guidance and direction that we need for our lives, God. That when we open this book, God, there there is the possibility of us meeting and encountering you face to face. And so I'm asking, God, for you to unleash your power this morning as we open and we read from your book. I ask, God, that someone experience you fresh and new in a very powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Anytime that you or I receive any sort of good news, we are wired to tell people about it. It's just in our DNA. If something exciting happens to you, something good happens to you, it's just kind of within us. We want to share it. We want to tell people about it. And I'm going to ask you to kind of get in touch with that in your own life as I kind of go through a few of mine. Uh, I remember the good news, the great news when I got my very first car. It was the summer of 1973. I just turned 18. It was my first car. I was about to move in and live with a family that was going to go my freshman year of college. And Mr. Ashbrook had this family friend who owned a used car lot. And this was my very first car. This is it right here. It looks kind of like this. It was a green, a 1968 green Ford Torino. Well, we almost had it there, yeah. And um, that car didn't look like much, and it really wasn't much. I had already had a new engine put in it. I'd gone through one engine by the time I got it. Uh, it had no power, so that means you had to do this, young people, to get the windows to go up and down. You had to roll them up and roll them down. And the heater coils were kind of locked in, so the heat ran all the time, and it had no air conditioning. And so, and then you notice it was a two-seater. So to get in the back, you had to fold the things down. You had to fold up to even get in it. But this guy was so excited about telling me about the car, and I was so excited about it. And he said, hey, listen, Mr. Ashbrook, Ray, 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 you got to tell Rick the good news. He has to get down here right here. This car is going to be a chick magnet. (laughs) So I was excited. And I spread the word. But he lied. Did not attract one. 
Not a one. So I said, that's bad news. Because see, sometimes while someone thinks it's good news for you, they want to tell you it ends up being bad news. And it was bad news. So I traded it in. And I got a puppy that looks kind of like this right here, this 1971 Pontiac Firebird. And I want to tell you, it was a chick magnet. I mean, it just attracted me like crazy. And it was really awesome for a young guy my age having this car until it got T-boned. I'm thinking it was a jealous boyfriend. I can't prove it, but it got T-boned. And that thing was total. And so I had to turn it in. And I got, a, I got me a, a new T-bird, a new bird. And it was not instead of a firebird, it was a T-bird. And I will tell you, it was a chick magnet. It was the chick magnet of all chick magnets because it got this chick right here. In fact, here's the car with that chick in it. And some 42 years and 11 months later, she's still my girl. And I'm telling you, that's good news. And I want everybody to know. Yeah. Uh, it was 36 years ago around this Christmas that I went to her and I told her, baby, I got some good news for you. I'm tired of running from God. I just can't, I can't run anymore. So the good news is I'm going to seminary and I, th I think I really got to do this. And she kind of said, okay, I'm not sure if that's good news for me. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to do that, but here's the deal. I will do it with you if you find a school in Texas, a seminary in Texas, and you have a job. Now the chances of that are slim to none. So she thought she was in pretty good spot. And I will tell you, I started interviewing places and sending out news. And I wasn't, nothing was turning up except this one little church in Burleson, Texas. It's called St. Matthew Church. I'm like, you know what? If I could get a job there, I could go to TCU. Maybe they would accept me. So I applied three times. I applied and they said no. I applied, they said no. And I applied, they said no. And she thought that was great news. She told everybody, we're not going anywhere. We're st all of our friends, our little church community, our boss. When we're staying here, it's good news. We're not going anywhere. And then out of the blue, I get this phone call in July. And they said, hey, we want you to come for an interview. And I came home with what I thought was good news. Babe, I got good news for you. Have you ever noticed again that sometimes what's good news to you is not good news to somebody else? But I'm here to tell you this morning, online or in the house, some 36 years later, I got so much good news I could share with you of what God has done here in these past 35 years. Of life after life after life after life after life after family that's been changed and transformed. Such good news. Maybe it's more personal for you. It's a different kind of good news. Maybe you go back and you can think of the time that when you had your first kid, maybe you were able to have kids and you think about, gosh, you remember the good news of when you had your first kid and you shared that. You know, Dallas and I have three sons. I remember the birth of each one of them. Each one was different and unique. And the first one, Dallas was uh, in, in labor for about 20 hours. And after 20 hours of labor, they said C-section. But that little critter had been trying to come out so much, they had to get a vacuum cleaner to suck that kid out. And he had this little point right here on the top of his head, you know, even though he was a C-section baby. But I didn't care. I was proud of that cone-headed little critter. And I wanted everybody to know that, I, I mean, don't you know, hey, I got a new grandkid. I got a new kid. You just, I got yeah, to share it. You got to, you, you, we're just wired to tell people good news. Maybe it's something even simpler when you discover Bluebill ice cream. I remember when I discovered Bluebill ice cream, I would, I, it was so good. I thought, how can anybody be an atheist if they taste Bluebill ice cream? <laughs> and so I just started telling everybody the good news to make sure maybe that taste would change them and transform them. And, or, or maybe somebody sends you a video. You get a little viral. You see something on TikTok. You see something, and that's just so incredible. I mean, you just want to share. You just keep on pushing share. Maybe even something like this right here. Are you out of bed? I can't sleep. It is past your bedtime. Okay. Back to bed. I'm just getting this. I lost this down here. 
I was scared, but then I, but then I wasn't very scared, but then I got scared again. I can see you. I was just gonna come down and put my shoes by the door so in the morning they're already by the door. To your room. I know, I know. I was just wondering like whether if they were going to impeach Trump. How do you know about that? I was in bed and my sock was itching so I came to tell you that one of my socks was itching. Um, I was gonna ask how long do you think I-15 construction will be so cumbersome on Lehigh? I was, I think I was sleepwalking. I was just gonna say, if you wake up in the morning and come in my room, say, good morning, I love you. I was just up thinking whether you're gonna be one of the real housewives of Salt Lake City. No, stay, stay upstairs, stay I'm up trying to, I can't stop. I can't help. Isn't that true? So, so something like that comes along your way. And it tickles your fancy. You go, gosh, I gotta, she's gotta see this. Oh, he's gotta see this. And all of a sudden it goes viral. It's infectious. It spreads all around the world. You and I are wired that way. That's how God designed and made you. That when you receive something that means something or funny, you gotta share it. Now, in that light, I wanna share with you a statement from the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, verse 17. When the shepherds had seen him, they spread the word. They had to make sure everybody knew. They had to put share, 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 share. I, I just got to make sure they know. Down deep inside, that's how God has made and wired each and every single one of us. Consider this from the Christmas story back in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verses 1 and 2. This is what I want to visit with you about, but we've got to start right here. As we get ready for Christmas, as we prepare for Christmas, as we get ready for the celebration of that, I want you to consider these shepherds and what happens to them when we start this story. One moment they're shepherds, the next moment they have a message. One moment they're just taking care of a sheep, the next moment they're pushing share, 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 and God used them to change people's lives. I want to visit with you as we go through the story. What would it look like for you to be a shepherd? To be used by God to be a life changer. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town, their home, to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Now I want to do a little historical context work for you to understand what's going on in the Roman world and what people would experience when they first heard some of this language right here. First of all, you notice verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus, Caesar, Issues a decree that a census, that's a code word for tax. That's all it is, the code word for tax. Caesar is saying, everybody's got to pay more money, and I get the money. I get, when you make have that kind of power, one person says one word, and everybody has to empty out their pockets a little bit more, and it goes to him. This is Caesar. Caesar believed that he himself was the good news. 
We're going to learn more about that in a second. In, in fact, we'll go ahead and put this on there. Would you put this ancient inscription up there? This one, if you were to go back and do a little study, you would find this ancient inscription on some of the ruins, Caesar Augustus, and he put it there, Caesar Augustus himself is Savior of the world. He, would, he put that on the side of that building. Now, here's a little word study here for you if you're taking notes on a Roman world historical context. First one, the gospel, that is the good news. That's what gospel means, good news. Greek word is euangelion used all over the place. It actually means news that brings great joy. Caesar believed that he was the gospel. He was the savior of the world, that he was the news that was bringing great joy to everyone. A technical phrase that a new Caesar is coming to the throne. And when he becomes throne, that's good news for everybody. That's the language. It's loaded language. Here, 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 here's another. Can you put the, the next little description up there? Here's another description. The birthday of God, he thought he was divine, that is Augustus Caesar, has marked the beginning of the good news, that is the gospel, that's the loaded language, for the world. Okay? So when you know, just say this. The birthday of Caesar was regarded as the beginning of the gospel. That every time that he had a birthday, it was some symbolic thing. Now, I've got to ask a question to any of you. Does anybody here, can you tell me the birthday of Augustus Caesar? I didn't know either. I looked it up. I will tell you, you missed it. September the 23rd. If you go to Hallmark, they do not have a section. Well, you can buy cards to send to someone to recognize the birthday of Caesar. But if you go to Hallmark, there are so many cards to celebrate the birthday of one. Some 2,000 years ago, that continues to move and change the world. Caesar had all the money. Caesar had all the power. He had all the clout and all the influence. And he thought, he thought, and he told everybody, I'm the good news of the world. And in a way, he was something called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. For the first time under his reign, there was peace all across the land. They built all these Roman roads. They could travel. There was peace, prosperity. Everybody was making money. It was a wealthy time of prosperity, and they saw that as good news. And if you're reading this text, if you're reading this text before it gets too far in these day and times, here's what you would buy into in your notes, this political ideology that Caesar is the good news. That's what they would believe. They've got to be talking about Caesar. But little did Caesar know when he said, okay, everybody's going to go home and you've got to get the census so you can be taxed that there would be a guy that he had never met that would go back to a country that Caesar knew nothing about that he had probably never been to, and this little man would go home, and his name was Joseph, all because he gave that decree. In your notes, number two, the story of Christmas is the story of Joseph going home. We don't know much about Joseph's home. We don't know what kind of house it was. We don't know how big it was. If it, we don't know if he had land. We don't know if he had a lot of family there. We don't know if he'd been there recently. But here's what we do know. We do know that there were ancient prophets who said in this little town called Bethlehem, there would be a baby born, and he would be the Savior of the world. 
we know that Bethlehem in the Hebrew literally means house of bread. And that in Bethlehem, a baby would be born his birthday, where one day he would grow up and he would say, I am the bread of life. And anyone who hungers in the depth of their soul, if you come to me, you'll never be hungry for life again because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And it all starts off because Joseph goes home. And little did he know what was about to transpire. I want you to Think a little bit about what it means for you to go home for Christmas. Online, in the house, just think about it for a moment. Kind of go back in time. Kind of go back to the childhood home. When I think about going home for Christmas and I go home like Joseph, back to my hometown, I think about the nine houses that we lived in in the first 18 years of my life. In every single one of those homes at December, our house smelled like bread because my mother was an amazing cook and she cooked and she cooked and she cooked. She cooked this banana bread. I'm telling you why. She cooked this banana bread with pecans the way God intended banana bread to be made. And she would cut off a slight little slice for me and she would slide it in the, uh, in the oven and kind of get it kind of crispy and she would put it on my plate with a quarter inch of butter the way God intended for banana bread to be eaten. And she made these Christmas tree cookies. I heard rumors that there's some of them around here are here today. And she made these, uh, they were made out of butter, lard, and sugar with a little green tint to make them look green. These little red sprinkles all over. I'm telling you, they were delicious. She would made this, this red velvet cake with cream cheese icing. She made it at Christmas. It was just so awesome. When I think of going home for Christmas, I think about my dad. In every home we lived in on Christmas Eve night, after we went to bed, me and my sister, he would set a trap made of cans and bells and rattles and pots and pans that when you open the door to go check out what Santa had brought, or you would trip over it and all of a sudden noise and the dead would be raised and Santa would be scared off. And we would run back to our beds and we were just scared to death, but he would do it every year. We'd know he was going to do it and he was successful every year. And he would just lay there going, <laughs> got him again. And yeah, when I think about going home for Christmas, I think about those days. I think about going to the childhood home of my mother and dad after we had Christmas at our house. My dad's dad, Papa Owen, he died when I was two. My grandma Owen never really got over his death. Ever. My grandma Owen, my dad's mom, she had... Uh, six kids. One of them died when there was one after my dad, but she had five others. And here's a picture of them right here. Here's my dad right here. There's my dad. He's 91. That's a brother. That's a sister. Both of them had muscular dystrophy in a wheelchair. I never knew them without being in a wheelchair. This is my dad's older two brothers, Uncle Rio and Uncle D. They were served in World War II. Uncle D was in the Air Force. Uncle Rio was in a tank under Patton in World War II. When he came back from the war, he wasn't the same. He never came home for family Christmas gatherings because the emotions were just so stirred up within him. And I remember 
my grandma before opening the presents. We had my dad read the Christmas story, and she had this big old styrofoam, kind of like our Christmas remembrance service, our candlelight this afternoon at 4 o'clock. And she'd have a Christ candle right in the center, and there was a candle in the styrofoam for every member of the family, and you would light your own candle. But Grandma Owen would light the candle for her husband and for Uncle Rio and for anyone who had not come home for Christmas with tears just coming down her eyes. Sometimes she would play at Bing Crosby, I'll be home for Christmas, and she would just. My mama's parents lived in Fort Worth, just crossed I-35 for a period of time. They lived in the same town, Fort Worth, so we could see both. I remember going to Papa and Granny Brown's house the same way, but it was a totally different atmosphere because before, before the domino grain broke out for all night long domino grain, and after the presents were wrapped, we all went to the piano because my grandparents, they had a gospel quartet. This was my, this was my grandparents. That is my Papa Brown. That is my Granny Brown. That is my mother right there. She sang in the quartet. And this is my Uncle Kenneth, and this is my Aunt Maggie. And they were just singers. So they, grew, they grew up singing. So my granny would go to the piano and start playing Christmas carols. And everybody got up and started singing. The whole house, it was so tiny, it just spread throughout the house. And then eventually granny would start playing. I'll be home for Christmas. And she and Papa both would have tears just coming down their eyes. Tears of joy for everybody that would come home, but tears of pain for a grandchild that died when they were just a few weeks out of the moon because of neglect of a daughter-in-law. A marriage that died too, too soon. It ended. A son-in-law who was murdered, dropping the night offering on Sunday evening at the bank. As a kid, I didn't realize it, but as a kid, there was so much pain and joy at the same time around Christmas in that home. As an adult now, I'm very much aware of it. Isn't it strange? Isn't it something? Isn't it something that your home, your family tree can be full of so much joy, but also so much hurt? And Christmas kind of brings it all to the surface. And some of your, fr- your families, they're just totally looney tunes. <laughs> you go home, you go, my gosh, my family is Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation. That is my family. And what do you do when you go home and that's your experience, right? Yeah, what do you do? And we're going to find out next week. Next week we're going to deal with what do you do when you go home for Christmas and you got to deal with your crazy family. Well, we're going to try to give you some things to help you with that a little bit. But home, this thing called home, it's a hard thing to define, isn't it? What is, what, what is home? What is home? Home is more than just a building where you go and you say you slept there because some of you say that's a house I stayed in, but that's not my home. In your notes, what we say a home is, let's kind of put this, here's my definition of home, a place where I feel belonging, where I feel safe and I experience love. But you and I live in a world that's not safe. Many of you were raised in homes that were not safe. Some of you were raised in a household where you didn't feel like you belonged. And we live in a world where many people are excluded. And love is not always the prevailing experience that people have when they go home. In the world, when they meet a Christian, they don't always experience love. 
See, it turns out that this need for home that you and I have, this homesickness, the world can't meet that need. The world can't satisfy it. You and I have a deeper need for home that is more than just a building. That's why I love the teachings of Jesus so much. Over here in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to meet that need. He says it like this. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. If your parents abandoned you, your parents turned their back on you, your parents gave up on you, your parents have died to go on to be with Jesus, he says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I am with you, he says. And then he goes on down here, deeper in the verse, in verse 23, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. God intends for your home to be in him, and God wants to make his home in you. That is where you're really home. Over in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself says, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat Christmas dinner with you every day of your life. And I will be at home in you, and you will be at home in me. You'll be safe. You will know you are loved. You will belong. This teaching is so important throughout Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus talks about it. He just doesn't give up talking about it. In one of the stories he talks, some of you know it very well. There's a son. He leaves home. He made some bad choices. The choices are so bad, he wounded his father. Do not raise your hand. How many of you have made some choices that wounded a parent? He made choices that wounded his father. And so he just kind of leaves and disappears. And one day, he just kind of wakes up. And he's in suffering. He's hurting so bad. He goes, you know what? Oh, my gosh. I've messed up. I just want to go home. But if I go home, I don't know if my father will welcome me. But I just got to go because it got to be better than this. It's got to be better than this. So he goes. And what he didn't know, what he didn't know was the heart of his father. He didn't know if the father was just waiting and hoping he would come home with open arms. And some of you need to hear this. I want you to hear this right now. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, wherever you have been, this morning God is saying to you in the house or online, just come home. We'll work it out when you get here. I know we got stuff to talk about. Just go home. That's the heart of God for each of you, for you, for you, for you, for you. I want to make my home in you, and I want you to make your home in me. That's the invitation. You can do that right now, wherever you're sitting, wherever you are in the world, you can do that right now. And he will come in. But if you've already accepted Jesus, if Jesus already has made his home in you and you've made your home in him, there's another invitation. And that's number four in your notes, to be a shepherd. 
to be a life changer who spreads the word that Jesus the Savior is born, that anyone who wants can be at home with God. I'm asking you, I am asking you, Pathway Church, who have already found your home in Jesus, and Jesus found his home, to spread the word, to tell people to be a life changer. And I can know many of you are going, well, man, because uh, I know every time I bring this up, somebody's thinking, well, man, not me. I'm not taking the class. I don't know enough about the Bible. I've not been trained. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. Not me, not me, not me, not me. That's why we're talking about the shepherds. This is exactly why we're talking about the shepherds. Another historical context, if, you go, if you're taking notes, you're going to back up. The shepherds were a despised occupation. In our days, you and I, we look at the shepherds, we've romanticized the shepherds. Oh, man, the shepherds. Isn't that so cool? Little shepherds, little sheep, little baby Jesus. Oh, that little cute little manger. Hey, I have to hang out with those guys. Cool. No, 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 no. Those are not who the shepherds really were. The rabbis had a list of trades that were despicable that you would not want to do or be. Rabbi said, hey, mothers, do not let your kids grow up to be, they would say, a gambler with dice, because dice, don't let them grow up to be money lenders, because a money lender takes advantage of the poor, usuries, bankers, and they would say back, don't let them be that. They take advantage of them. They would say, don't let them be a Sabbath-violating farmer. Makes sense. Low on tone pole. And they would say, don't let them be a shepherd. Because the shepherds are dishonest. They will take their flocks and let them graze on somebody else's property. You know they do it. They do it all the time. They'll steal the sheep one by one and even create their own flock. They're dishonest. They're thieves. They're irreputable. In fact, here's an ancient writing from the Jewish Midrash about the shepherds. There is not a more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. A shepherd was so low, such a low life, they could not testify in court. So, if you got accused of a crime and your alibi was you were playing poker with the shepherds, you were hosed. Because they could not come into court and testify on your behalf. And yet, who was the very first people in the Bible that God chose to spread the news that his son, Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world, was going to be born? Who? The shepherds. Why? Because the shepherds can do it, you can do it. If the shepherds can be used to change lives, anybody can be used to change lives. Just spread the word. Just tell people. And it's not the credibility of the teller. It's not about you. It's about the person of Jesus. It's not about you at all. It's just about the word. The word is about Jesus. And it's amazing the things that we'll talk about. We'll tell people all about my great car I got. Hey, I got a new kid. I got a new grandkid. You want to see? We'll share this post. We'll share, 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 share. I, I promise you, we got a lot of Baylor folks around here. They're telling everybody we won the Big 12. 
And yet we won't talk and tell people about what matters most. The very saving and the salvation of their soul and what can help their marriage and help their addiction and can help their depression. We just kind of keep that to ourselves. Right here in the text, back here in Luke chapter 2, it says the shepherds were afraid. An angel appears in verse 9, and they're afraid. And they go, man, they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. That is the gospel. And I'm not talking about Caesar. And it's going to cause great joy for all the people, not just a few people, not just for the Roman people, not just for the people in the high up on the ladder people, but for all the people that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Son of God himself, unlimited power on this earth. It is him. Tell people. I've been thinking about this verse in this passage quite a bit. I've been thinking about the, the things, the people that you and I will bow down to and people will talk about. Isn't it amazing who we like to talk about? And we bow down, kind of hold up. Let's, let's think of you people who have power that we like to talk about. Like this one right here. Anybody recognize this guy right here? Tell me who, who's this? Warren Buffett. Does Warren Buffett have power? <laughs> Unbelievable power. Sage of Omaha, there's one word out of his mouth. Whole stock market changes. Everything just changes. He just says something. Unbelievable power. People make and lose money based on what he says. But Warren Buffett's never saved a person. Warren Buffett is not Jesus. How about this next person right here? Does this woman have, does Oprah Winfrey have power? Oh, yeah, she got power. Incredible power. You were to go on her show, whole careers have been made because they came on her show. Dr. Phil. Dr. Ross, Gail, you had a book. You went on her show with a book. You become a bestseller. She bought stock, 10% uh, 10 of Weight Watchers. It went up 105% in value because she bought 10%. Incredible power. But Oprah's not saved anybody. She's not Jesus. How about this guy right here? You may not recognize this guy right here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anybody who goes by their first name and everybody knows them, that's power. Name is Dak. Just, just say Dak. Here you know who he is. You know that's power. Um, even Jesus wishes he could throw a spiral like Dak. You know. But Dak's never saved anybody. He can't even save the Cowboys. <laughs> He's not Jesus. Let me give you one more. Anybody recognize this woman? Taylor Swift. Does Taylor Swift have power? Unbelievable power. You date her, you dump her, she'll write a song, the whole world will know you're a piece of scum. <laughs> Nobody ever look at you again. Unbelievable power. But she's not Jesus. There is only one name. There is only one name under heaven or on earth where people will bow and can be saved and will transform their lives. And his name is Jesus. Only Jesus can answer your prayer. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. Only Jesus can give your life purpose. Only Jesus can give you a hope beyond death. Only Jesus was born in a manger. Only Jesus lived a sin-free life. Only Jesus was raised, was put upon a cross. Only Jesus was raised from the dead. And 2,000 years later, only Jesus can set an addict free. And restore a marriage back to wholeness and give you life here on this earth. Amen. Only Jesus. 
And the shepherds, they spread the word. And they spread the word concerning this guy. They spread the word. And they said, oh, no, 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 you can't spread the word. You're uneducated. Oh, no, no, no. I want to show about Jesus. No, but, but you can't even go into court. But yeah, but it's about Jesus. But, but yeah, you're a thief. You're a no good lola. Yeah, but it's about Jesus. I just, you just need to hear about Jesus. And the scripture says, all who heard were amazed. I'm very much aware of the time. I'm asking you. As we approach Christmas, I'm asking you to be a shepherd. I have this gnawing conviction this year at Christmas. I do not want us to have a Christmas Eve service that's just another little warm, little fuzzy, feel-good little experience where you come here and light a little candle and go, oh, doesn't this feel good, and go home. I don't want that. There's too much at stake. I'm going to make you a promise. I am praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm asking many of you to pray. And I'm going to work to craft the most simple and clear, simple, easy message to understand about who Jesus is, that someone is just compelled, i got to know more about this guy named Jesus. i got to get connected to Jesus. We're going to try to create a service and a moment and a message where people are just going to go, man, I just got to know about Jesus. But you, you have got to spread the word. You've got to be a shepherd. Because here's what I don't want to happen, because I know this happens all the time. I'm here doing the teaching, and we're talking about stubbornness. And you start thinking, man, I wish so, so forth was here to hear this message. And I will tell you, usually that's a sin because you're the donkey who needs to hear it yourself. And you're thinking somebody else ought to hear. Or we're talking about lust. You go, oh, my goodness, I wish so-and-so was here. But you're the lusty little guy or the lusty little woman that needs to deal with the honesty about your own lust. But you're thinking, man, I wish they were here. And on Christmas Eve, I don't want you saying, and I just wish so-and-so was here. Because everybody here in this room who's a follower of Jesus, you know what it's like to come at Christmas for your dinner, your family dinner at Christmas, and to start to have the Christmas prayer, and there's an empty chair, there's an empty seat. And there's someone who doesn't believe or has left home, has left the family. And you're just hoping and praying that somewhere there's a church, somewhere there's somebody praying for them, some, that, that your church is going to work to connect with them. If you know the pain, you know what I'm talking about. We're going to be that church. I'm asking you to be that person Amen. to make the invitation. Real quickly, who and why? Who and why? Who? 7.6 million people live here. Dallas-Fort Worth area. 7.6 We live in the Bible Belt. Church on every corner. But did you know the people who are moving into here in droves, moving in droves, 25 to 45-year-old young families who say, I'm a nun. I have no faith. I have no hope. I have no church. I don't care. No Jesus. And they're just waiting for an invitation. 
There's somebody in your life. There's somebody in your circle. There's a who. There is a who that God wants to use you to connect you. Shepherd. Why? Why is this important? The Bible says this. It's just a hard fact. God has placed eternity in the heart of every man and every woman. Eternity means heaven, and heaven and eternity means hell. There's both. We don't talk about that a lot around here. Because churches have manipulated those words to emotionally kind of mess people up, and people have turned off because of how the church has used it, scaring people and all that. But the fact remains, we're all going to die. We'll all face death, and either eternity with God forever or eternity without God forever. And I don't want you on Christmas Eve going, man, I wish so-and-so was here. Jesus is still in the saving business. He's still changing lives. It's happening right here. A family asked me to come over to their house. Their 30-year-old didn't believe in Jesus, and he was dying of cancer. And they said, Pastor, will you come over? I said, sure. So I showed up, and he was there on a gurney right there in the living room, and we talked sports. I just met him where he was. We talked, and he started talking about cancer. And then all of a sudden, he said, Pastor, my family, they're not sure about me. So let me tell you, I believe in Jesus. Would you baptize me right now? I said, I sure will. I said, Mother, go get some water. She went to the kitchen. She got water. I put water on his head. I put water on his, on his hands. I put water on his feet. And water poured out of all of our faces as he came to accept Jesus right there just a couple of days before he died through this year church. And church, I live for moments like that where people come face to face and they say yes to Jesus. It changes everything. It changed the whole family. The weekend, we closed the ark, our last worship in the ark. I'm out in the crossing, and the family said, will you come pray with us? We got all this stuff going on. So I stood in a circle with this family, and they started talking and sharing. And I just I said, will you pray? I said, yes. Well, I'm praying for the family, and the, the matriarch of the family is there. She's in her late 70s, early 80s. And then her daughter says, my, my mother, my mother, I think she wants to say something. I had this conversation with her. She says yes to Jesus in that circle for the very first time. And the family just went. <laughs> During COVID, mom and dad had a kid that was just a little hellion. The teenager was a little hellion. Anybody have any hellions in there? He met Jesus, and he wanted to get baptized. They called me and said, would you come over to our pool, and would you baptize him here? See, and, you know, if you wonder how much water does it take to be baptized, it depends on how much you sin. And so he had to be in a big pool. They had a big pool. So he went, big pool, a lot of water, a lot of sin. And so, and when I get there, he's dressed up in dress clothes. I'm in shorts. Aren't you going to put on some shorts? He said, no. I want to be dressed up for the one who laid his life down for me. Church, let me tell you what, you can't, you're not too old and you're not too young. And so, the weekend we're signing a Bible, we're dedicating this place. I told you the line was up. You were here, you saw the line all the way up that side, and it never got short. 
It seemed like somebody would sign somebody else to come in. And I'm walking the line saying hello to people. And I see this couple up here, and they're just grinning and beaming from ear to ear. And I could tell they're waiting for me. And I, I kind of finally get up there to them, right up there about there in the aisle. And I say, listen, y'all are the happiest people I've ever known. You're smoking something. And, and they said, we're just happy. And he started talking. He said, Pastor, our marriage was done. He said, I was done. I was out. And my wife said, can we do one more thing? Would you go with me to church? And this is the church we came to. And I got reconnected to Jesus. And we invited Jesus into our marriage. And I just wanted to say thank you. And church, I want to say thank you for being a church where people get connected to the healing, saving, beautiful, wonderful, grace-filled power of Jesus. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church where that happens? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? And I am asking you, There's nobody so high on the totem pole, so low, so beautiful, so educated, so smart that doesn't need to kneel before the cross, the throne of Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking you to make the invitation. Would you please stand for the closing prayer? Would you please stand? Christmas Eve, 3, 5, and 7 in this space right here. Heavenly Father, if you've not done so yet, Anyone who can hear my voice in the house, online, true worth, any place around the world, would you please touch us with the fresh portion of your life-changing grace? I pray you touch a marriage. I pray you touch an addict. I pray you touch somebody who's given up on church, who's given up on you. right now they would invite you into their heart Father would you help us all of us be overwhelmed again by the power of the gospel and the power of the name of Jesus Christ and we pray right now Father for all the people in our lives we pray for that son we pray for that daughter that son-in-law and that daughter-in-law who've given up on you and walked away from you, God. We pray for that face, that person at work. We don't even know their name, God, but we see them. We see their face. We see their life. That person we pull up alongside at the red light, the stop sign at the same time every single morning going to school or going to work. I see them. We see them in our face right now. We pray for that table servant that every week we go to get coffee or to have lunch for that clerk that takes care of us the dry cleaners who checks us out every day at the grocery store God we, we pray you lift up we just lift up God we pray for every name that's been written under the carpet on this slab where we stand and we gather right now that you would prepare their hearts to receive the invitation that you would be at work in their life getting them ready and I pray God that you would be at work all over the world in every church in every Christmas Eve service in every nation because we need your son Jesus more than ever
Father, I pray for every person who can hear my voice that what happened to the shepherds would happen to them. That they'll be so compelled, they just gotta share, share, share. So that people we know and people we love come home for Christmas. Go be a shepherd. Go be a life changer. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.